290. Be still my soul. Look up the first in the last stanza. Sixty-three. Well, let's uh, let's stand up and sing this one. Uh, Shelter in the time.
grateful, Lord, for being our shelter. Lord, this morning, I ask, Lord, that you speak to hearts, uh, meet needs, Lord, as we worship you in songs and preaching, Lord, and fellowshipping. Lord, I pray that your name would be honored and be glorified in, in, the, in all the aspects of our service, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. May be seated. We have uh, friends that visited us centuries ago, <laughs> and uh, we're glad to see them again now. They've all grown bigger, not larger, bigger. You know. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, last time I remember, they, they played some piano, and so we want to we wanna have them. Uh, they, they have a song, they have, they have a special they, they want to sing for us.
that's a blessing. Thank you, Lord. Uh, the song we just did, Congregation, was about a weary land that we're living in. And it is true on many aspects, but a song like that makes us thankful to be saved. That's the most important thing, isn't it? To know the Lord. That'll carry you through if you have a relationship with Him. Walk with Him. That'll help you through this weary land. If you look at this weary land all the time, and that's all you see, you'd be very discouraged. If that's all you see, if you keep looking like this, at this world at a horizontal level, you'd be very discouraged because there's nothing that's hopeful. There's no hope politically. There's no hope coming out of New York or Chicago or Los Angeles. There's no hope in this world except looking up. And so, thank you, Lord. That's a good song. I heard that song somewhere. You heard a song somewhere, too. Good song. And let's see, uh, the last time we saw them was, I think, 2017. And uh, you were single, right? And now uh, um, that guy is your husband. Okay. All right. Uh, okay. And, uh, yeah, you folks have run up some. But uh, thank you for singing that song. It's a blessing. All right. Uh, well, Mike's back in shape. He had surgery on his leg, ankle. He, what was it, Mike? My brain. Yes, my brain too. Uh, he's he, able to walk. Surgery. Meniscus. Yeah. Doctor said maybe three weeks, but he's back on his feet before that. So that's a good. That's a good thing. All right. All right. Uh, good news too. Um, Blue Angels are in town, but that's not the good news. A baby was born. A baby was born. And uh, what's the baby's name? Well, the grandson, David Randall Ching, born at 2.30 in the morning on Thursday, and I was fast asleep, which is really nice. It was a home birth, as you all know, and I was not participating, so that's a blessing. And uh, the baby had to go to ER, Kai's, uh, was trying to get to ER on Castle because of a heart beat issue, and then... Um, they're back home, and so Kristen is home with the baby and the mom, and so tomorrow they have an appointment at Queens, uh, sorry, Kapilani, and so pray for them. Uh, so far, they're saying it's kind of normal, but you know how it is as young ones, you have to be careful, and so that's what's going on there. So do pray for uh, little David Randall. Randall is my brother-in-law. Up in Michigan, so that was an honor to be named that. Okay, um, let's see. We had a really good service last week. The Lord blessed us, I believe, and uh, had some visitors come that uh, just enjoyed being in the service. And uh, you folk were gracious and kind to them, so that was really a blessing to them. They didn't care about the preaching, they just cared about the friendly people. That was a joke. <laughs> and so, uh, Whoever brought those goodies there was really good this time. That apple turnover is something else. You folks ought to stop doing that because we don't think about anything spiritual. We think about the coffee and the goodies there. So it's kind of a distraction, actually. All right. Uh, birthday's coming up. It's in the bulletin. And you folks have been getting, I believe, your email bulletins. Besides, we have hard copies over here. And so um, take note of some of these things. Pray for each other. You get the prayer list on Wednesdays. And uh, so pray for one another as you get the notices and the updates. And so people depend on your praying. There's an evangelist friend of ours that uh, always thanks his mailing list for their prayers. 
because it keeps heathens left on the road. And so uh, it, is, it is very true. Keep that in prayer, okay? All right, I believe I'm going to step aside and have you listen to another song or two. One. One, and a special. Okay, good. studies in alphabetical order. However, I'm going to have to um, skip back just 
one part today because uh, last time I gave you a message about Satan, and today I'm going to give you a, a lesson on sanctification. And so I know that in alphabetical order that this is, <laughs> as far as the spelling goes, it would be before Satan, but I, I mistakenly um, skipped this one. I, re I meant to bring you this lesson on sanctification, and I, I jumped ahead a little bit. So we're going to go just one step backwards. So we're still on letter S. Sanctification. What does sanctification mean? Sanctification basically means set apart. Set apart. Set apart for a, a holy purpose, a special purpose. The, Bi the Bible does speak of sanctification. It is a Bible word. Uh, Christians are supposed to be set apart from many things. We're supposed to be set apart from sin, set apart from the world, and not just set apart from something, but set apart unto something, set apart unto serving God. Look at Acts chapter 26. Acts chapter 26. A lot of Christians mistakenly, when they get saved, they think, okay, now that I'm saved, I'm not supposed to do certain things that I've been doing up until now, which is true. But the mistake they make is they think that the Christian life basically entails just a life of not doing certain things, not doing certain sins. And so they only come halfway. They, set them, they try to set themselves apart from certain things but they don't keep on going and they don't set themselves apart unto doing other things. Look at Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Acts chapter 26, verse uh, 18. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness. Okay, that's separating from something. But look, it doesn't stop there. It says to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified, there's that word, by faith that is in me. Now I'm going to talk about three aspects of sanctification. By the way, another word that's commonly used for, well actually there's a few different words in the Bible. When it talks about sanctified, it talks about being separated, it talks about being set apart. There's a, a word that is all throughout the Bible that is holy, holy. A holiday comes from the phrase holy day. What is a holiday? A holiday is a day that is set apart from the rest of the days of the year, correct? Why? Because it is it's a holy day. That's what holiday really means. Holy day. Now when we think of holy in the we're thinking in the Bible context, we're thinking holy means pure and sinless and like God and, and, and that is true in a lot of the, the ways that it's used in the Bible in the context that's a lot of times that's what it is but there, is, there are things in the Bible where, where the, um, the, the word holy is used and, and it's basically used as something that is set apart something like especially in the Old Testament parts of the, um, the tabernacle furniture and all of these things and, and a lot of those th and, and there were uh, feast days and certain things that God required of the nation of Israel and they were a holy they were holy days why because they were set apart and so the word holiday comes from that phrase holy day which means it's just a day set apart I mean Halloween 
comes from what? Hallowed Eve. Hallowed. Holy. Okay. So um, sanctification. Did you know that in the Bible, when it comes to sanctification, especially in the New Testament, for you as a believer, there are three different aspects of your sanctification. There is your past, your present, and future. And so we're going to look at these today about sanctification, especially in regards to sin. And you're going to see what I'm talking about in a minute. I put sin, sin, uh, apostrophe S, sin. Number one, your past sanctification. When you got saved, your soul was sanctified, set apart from sins. I should put here. Let's do this. Sanctified or set apart from sins penalty. Penalty. This is your past sanctification. When you got saved, when you repented and trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you received Jesus Christ by faith, God set you apart. He sanctified your soul from sin's penalty. What is sin's penalty in, as far as eternity goes? Hell. You were sanctified from that. You were set apart. God set you apart from sin's penalty of going to hell. You're saved. You're set, set apart. You're no longer going to spend eternity in hell. God sanctified you. You are forgiven of all of your sins. You are given the free gift of eternal life. You're no longer bound for hell. And now you have a new position in Jesus Christ. And you are said to be sanctified. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul, he's writing to the church at Corinth. And in his opening statement here, he, he addresses them. And a lot of times... Paul, it's, it's uh, very interesting when you will find a lot of doctrinal content just in Paul's salutation or how he's he's addressing different churches and and even when he's when he's ending his his epistle he'll still he begins and he says he's uh, God bless you and I'm praying for you and, and you and he'll 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 list all of these descriptions of believers which apply to all believers in the New Testament dispensation. And he'll give you all of these doctrinal details that we can apply to us today. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse 2. He's telling the church at Corinth, he says, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. You know what's interesting? He's telling them that they are sanctified. They are set apart. They are holy. But then when you continue reading the book of Corinthians, you find out that they're involved in all kinds of sinful activities and things. And Paul has to address it. And, he, and so it's if you don't understand this distinction, it can be very confusing because you start reading. He's like, oh, man, he's praising them and he's telling them how wonderful they are and how they're sanctified and they're holy and they're saints and all of that. Then you keep reading like, what? They were involved in this and this and this and this and this and Paul has to reprove and rebuke them and correct them and answer all these questions and tell them uh, at one point he even calls them fools and he says that they're carnal and they're, they, he couldn't give them meat. He had to feed them with milk and he's and they're guilty of all these things. You're well, wait a minute, Paul. But you just said that they were these wonderful people and they're sanctified and all of this and now you're 
saying that they're guilty of all these things. How is that? What's going on here? Is there a contradiction? The difference is he's talking right here. He's talking about their position in Christ. That is true of all believers. Later on, he talks about their condition. There's a difference. We call it standing versus state. You could say it's their position in Christ versus their condition. You understand? Uh, you can have children, and and all of the children in your in your family, if you if you're parents, all the children are the same in some aspects. They all have the same last name. They're all part of the same family. They all have the same physical address. Okay, the same. All right. But in other aspects, they're not the same. <laughs> they behave differently. You can have some, one kid who's very, very obedient. The other kid is disobedient. One kid's making great uh, grades, straight A's, and the other kid, he's struggling, okay? So in some aspects, because they're the same part of the same family, they have some things are exactly the same. And in other ways, they're not. And that's how it is with Christians in the family of God. So your past sanctification, how you are sanctified, you're set apart, from sin's penalty, all the Christians, all of this is the same. All believers share the same sanctification in that they are all separated from sin's penalty. And that's your past sanctification. You don't try to keep on living the Christian life in order to be sanctified from sin's penalty from going to hell. No. Once you get saved, it's done. The Bible says he has forgiven you of all trespasses. That's your past sanctification. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. Here's another verse where he talks about their new standing, their new position in Christ. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, actually, let's, let's begin at verse 9. He says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Now let me ask you a question. Is a Christian unrighteous? His position in Christ, his standing. No, he's not unrighteous. He's, the Bible says he hath um, made us to be the righteousness of God in him. We have God's or Christ's imputed righteousness. He's given us God's righteousness. So we're not unrighteous. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall not, shall, they shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11, look at this. And such were, in the past, some of you, the Corinthians, before they were saved, some of them were those things that Paul just mentioned. That's what they were. And he says, but ye are, present tense, washed. But you are sanctified. Set apart. Why? Because they have a new position in Christ. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. One more. Go to Jude, the book of Jude. Second to the last book of the Bible. Jude. Jude. Look at, look at verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by 
God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. So that's your past sanctification as a believer. All believers have the same past sanctification. What about the present sanctification? How does that differ from the past sanctification? Your present sanctification involves being set apart from sins, not penalty. You've already, you've already, if you're saved, you've already been set apart from that. But now it involves being set apart, sanctified from sin's power. From sin's power. Now, what does that mean? Being set apart from sin's power is an ongoing process in the believer's life. The Christian always has to try to set himself apart from sin's power in the sense that sin will always affect the believer as long as he is alive. Why? Because we have uh, a sin nature. Oh, sorry, forgot to turn my phone off. I just heard a text. I'm going to make sure I turn it off just in case somebody calls me. Uh, okay. Jesus said, the spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak, correct? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The, your sanctification as far as being set apart from sin's power involves living a holy separated life, trying to resist temptation, trying to walk after the spirit, growing in the knowledge of God's word, all of those things, Christian growth, Christian life, trying to be separate from the world, trying to be separate from, from sin and all of those things because... The Bible says that we do still, you will struggle with your sinful flesh as long as you have this sinful flesh, as long as you're alive. When you got saved, nothing happened to your physical body. How many of you, when you got saved, all of a sudden, the very next day, you liked different kinds of food <laughs> and uh, your favorite color changed? And your eye color change and your hair color change and all of the No, nothing, absolutely nothing happened to your physical body. What happened? The, doesn't the Bible say, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all, all things are become new? Doesn't the Bible say that? It does say that, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Well, then what happened? What's new then? The new things are spiritual things. Right. They are inward not physical when you look in the mirror you still look like the same person the day after you got saved and because of that you will still struggle with sin as long as you are alive we inherited a sinful nature go to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 see as you grow as a Christian you are continually, or at least you should, be setting your part from sin's power in the sense that as you grow as a Christian, there are some things, some, some sins that didn't, some of you who've been saved for a while, weren't there some sins when you first got saved that you were struggling with and you thought, man, I, I'm saved now. I know I'm not saved by works, but I want to obey God now that I'm saved. And, and, and so I, I want to live a holy, sanctified life. And I want to quit doing certain things that I know that are displeasing to God. 
Uh, but this thing, it just seems like, man, I just struggle with this, this besetting sin. It seems like this thing just has this power over me. And then as you grow as a Christian, what should happen is those things, they don't have that stronghold and that power over you like they did in the past. They're strong. I'm not saying that maybe you'll never struggle with it, but you should be getting stronger and stronger as you grow as a Christian so that certain sins don't have as strong of a power over you as they did in the past. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let's look at some of your, your present sanctification. The Bible uh, commands us to be sanctified and set apart from certain sins, certain specific sins, which is part of your, your present sanctification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. In fact, this talks about the will of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. That's part of your present sanctification. Let's look at something else. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Sanctification, separation, set apart, all of those things. Now, um, how can you be sanctified? How, how does a Christian go about doing these things? One of the ways is spending time in God's Word. Jesus prayed to the Father, and he said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So if you want to have more victory in, in sanctifying yourself and, and sancti being sanctified from sin's power in your life, one of the ways is to spend more time in God's word. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. It's spiritual food for you. A classic illustration is like if you have two dogs that are going to fight. Now, I know that's not politically correct. <laughs> Dog fight. Okay, let's, let's, let's make it people. Okay, athletes. Uh, MMA, UFC, these two guys, they're going to fight, all right? And one guy represents your flesh, and the other guy represents your spirit. Now, one way, spiritually speaking, is to to the, the, the guy that represents your, your spirit, not your flesh, because you want the spirit to win, right? Because the Bible says the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these two are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. He said, walk uh, walk in the spirits and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh in Galatians. A Christian, if he is growing, if he is saved, he should have some sort of interior, interior, internal, I should say internal, internal spiritual tug of war. The flesh is pulling one way, the spirit is pulling the opposite direction. The spirit is pulling towards the things that are of God, and the flesh is pulling the way that is of the, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Back and forth, back and forth. Christians do sin, but a Christian should not be able to enjoy sin the same way he did before he was saved. Because he should have the Holy Spirit in him, convicting him, making him feel guilty, saying, you know what, you're, you're, you're a Christian now. You know you're not supposed to be doing that stuff. And then you should think, oh, man, yeah, you're right. I, why, do I, why did I do that? Why do I keep doing that? I told myself I wasn't going to do that anymore. And there it is. There, did it again. 
oh God, please forgive me. Help me, help me not to do this. That's what should be going on with a Christian. A Christian who has absolutely no remorse or or feelings of 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 um, conviction or anything about sin, something's wrong there. Either he's not saved, or he's just so backslidden, or or so carnal that um, the Holy Spirit. He's not receptive and responsive to the Holy Spirit. Something's wrong there spiritually. Now, what do you do with these two athletes? One that represents the spirit, one that represents the flesh. And if they're going to fight, they're going to contend. They're going to go in the ring and fight. You know what you should do as a Christian in this analogy? You feed and train the one that represents your spirit. And you don't feed him junk food. These guys who train... These professional athletes, whether it's the Olympics or these professional fighters, these guys train and train and train and train. And do you think that do you think that their diet just consists of McDonald's and Pizza Hut? And <laughs> no, they have a special diet. They have coaches. They have probably dietitians and these these uh, nutrition experts and all these people. And they say, Hey, man, you need to eat this. You need to eat more carbs or more protein or whatever it is while you're working out and you're training and this is the kind of food, the diet that you need to eat if you want to be your best when you go against this contender. And then the other guy who represents your flesh, what do you want to do? You want to starve that guy. If two guys are training for a match, well, if one of them is training, the other one's not really training, and you starve him, he's going to get weaker and weaker and weaker, and the other guy's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. Then when they finally go to the ring, of course, this guy is going to beat the other one. That's what you want to do with your flesh and your spirit. Spiritually, you feed your spirit the word of God. You feed your spirit coming to church. You feed your spirit listening to uh, preaching and things like that. You feed your spirit with prayer and things of the word of God. You feed your spirit with Christian fellowship. And then your flesh, you starve your flesh, not physically. I'm not, not just not from food. I'm talking, it's talking about in a spiritual context, you starve your flesh. You don't give your flesh the things of the world, yeah. sinful things. Watching stuff on TV or the internet that's, go, that's going to feed your flesh and that sinful appetite. Hanging around, fellowshipping with the wrong crowd. All of those things. Feed the, feed the spirit and you starve the flesh. That's part of your present sanctification to be set apart from sin's power. From sin's power. Go to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Look at chapter 12. Familiar verse here, chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
Now, we could go on and on and look at all these verses about separation and how to um, get the victory over sin and all those things. Uh, but I think I've shown you enough for, so you're going to get the idea. But that is your present sanctification. And your present sanctification, I told you for your past, all Christians are the same. When it comes to this one, not all Christians are the same. Just like the illustration I gave you with two different kids in the same family. They're not the same when it comes to this. All Christians do not have the same spiritual condition. They all have the same position, not the same condition. Some Christians are carnal. Some Christians are spiritual. Some Christians are backslidden. Some Christians are serving God in the ministry. Some Christians, they're baby Christians. They've just been saved. Some Christians, they've been saved for many, many years, and they've grown, or they at least they should, and so they're more spiritually mature. It's like when you have, let's say, United States. Everybody who is a U.S. citizen has certain constitutional rights, and they, they are all the all people, all U.S. citizens have some of the same rights. It doesn't matter if somebody is homeless. It doesn't matter if they're living in a mansion and they're a millionaire. It doesn't matter if they're, they're dying of cancer on their deathbed or if they're in perfect health running the marathon. Some of those people, it doesn't matter if they're in prison or they're free, law-abiding citizens. It doesn't matter. All of those people, it, because by default, just because they are U.S. citizens, they all have some of the same constitutional rights, at least on paper. And so that would be the, the Christian's position in Christ. All Christians have that same position. But their condition is something else. We have criminals. We have law-abiding citizens. We have people who are rich. We have people who are poor. We have people who are sick. We have people who are healthy. All right? Those things are different. And that's how it is in the body of Christ. So your present sanctification, not all Christians are the same. Then we have your future sanctification. What is your future sanctification? This would be when you are finally sanctified completely from sin's presence. From sin's presence. When will that be? It's not right here. While you're alive, you are never going to be completely sanctified and set, and set apart from the presence of sin. One day we will be, though, and that is in the resurrected body. The resurrected body. The resurrected body is going to be glorified. And we will no longer have the sinful nature. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. There's going to be a day when we won't even have to think about whether something is right or wrong before we do it or think about it. or We're just going to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're going to have a glorified, sinless body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at verse 51. When is that going to happen? 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. He's talking about dying physically. But we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Now, this change is physical. When you get saved, your change is spiritual. 
This time he's talking about a physical change, not just spiritual, but physical. Your physical body is going to change. How so? Verse 53, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Your physical body right now is corruptible. You age, you eventually get sick, and you eventually die. Corruptible body. It is mortal. When you get in the resurrection, at the rapture, when you get your glorified body, this body is going to be glorified in the sense that it's not going to be corruptible. You will not be able to get sick. You will not be able to die. You'll kind of be like a superhero. All right? Uh, I mean, the Bible talks about being conformed to Jesus, uh, the image of Jesus Christ. Go to Philippians chapter 3. And it's that point when we will finally and be completely, fully sanctified, separated from the presence of sin. We will no longer have this sinful nature from Adam. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 21. It says, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Right now the Bible says your body is vile. You don't like to think that, right? You look in the mirror and you put on, you know, women put on the makeup and you look nice and presentable and the perfume and the hair and all of that and go through all this effort to make yourself look nice and the Bible says your body is vile. Why would your body be vile? Well, I mean we have a sinful flesh, right? Uh, just don't take a shower for about a month and don't brush your teeth and <laughs> you won't have to convince somebody that <laughs> you're vile. Let's go camping. Just go camping. <laughs> I mean, you know, you think about it, you have to put on deodorant every day so you don't stink. And that's even after you took a shower. You're vile. You're vile. Your body's vile. These, these, you ever seen these pictures of these celebrities and they get older and then they get all this cosmetic surgery and they look like aliens from outer space? I mean, who do they think they're trying to fool? <laughs> you know, they're they're vile. They you can't you 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 cannot you can't outdo nature. I mean, nature is going to win. Yeah. Um, look at First John chapter three. First John chapter three. Look at verse two. First John chapter three, verse two. Beloved, now are we the sons of God? You're saved. You're a son of God, right? That sounds great, right? A son of God? Are you? Yes, you are spiritually, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. You don't look like one. Some, some of us. But we know that when he shall appear, when Jesus Christ comes back, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. How are we going to be like him? One of the ways is that you are going to have a glorified body. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he had a glorified body. There were certain things that Jesus did and certain things, ways that he looked, how he looked, that were different before he rose from the dead. And part of that is the glorification. So when we have our glorified body, 
all believers will have a glorified body and we will be completely completely set apart and sanctified from sin's presence right now being it's a it's an ongoing process and it's going to take effort on your part to be sanctified from sin's power you say well what if i don't what if i don't what if i don't make the effort i'm already saved right you told me i'm already saved from sin's penalty which is hell you said, I'm, I'm saved, I, I have eternal life, I'm going to heaven. I'm fine with that. I'm content with that. I don't, you know, I don't need anything beyond that. I don't, you know, you talk about judgment seat of Christ and rewards. I'm fine if I don't get rewards. As long as I go to heaven, as long as I, you know, don't have to go to hell, I'm fine with that. Some people say. I had a guy, he asked me when I was teaching a lesson similar to this. And after the message, he came up to me and he said, he asked me, what about if a, you talked about the carnal Christian and the spiritual Christian. He, he asked, is it okay if somebody gets saved and, and they don't grow and they stay the carnal Christian? Is that okay? Because it, they, they're still saved. And I said, well, what would you think about uh, a, uh, maybe somebody who's 16 or 18 years old and they still wear diapers and, and drink out and have a pacifier and, and they act like a, like a baby. What would you think about that? Is, I said, is that okay? And he kind of laughed and was a little bit embarrassed. He goes, oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I see. I see your point. I see your point. The point is, a Christian who remains a carnal Christian, they're still saved. But they're not going to be in the will of God. And here's something else. A Christian who never attempts to sanctify himself from the power of sin, he's not going to be a joyful Christian. He's going to be a miserable Christian. You know why? Because the Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. In order to obtain the fruit of the Spirit, there has to be some spiritual growth. Once you get saved, God doesn't automatically say, Bam, okay, here, here's the fruit of the Spirit. You're like, a, you're like a tree. You didn't even have to grow. You're just, bam, you're just full of fruit. No. Before a tree bears fruit, it has to grow. And it has to be healthy. You know, I've tried to grow papayas. You know what I've learned about papayas? Papaya plants, they need a lot of sun. I got really ambitious and I thought, man, I, I'm gonna, we're going to plant these papaya plants all over our property. And man, we're just going to have so many papayas because it... Where I lived previously, I've tried to grow papayas, and then they were in the wrong area, and, the, and they would start growing and look real promising, and then they would die. And I was so frustrated, and I told Hannah, man, why, why can't we grow papayas? I see just out in the neighborhood, in the wild, healthy papaya plants just growing from, from the birds dropping the seeds, and they just grow by themselves. Why can't I grow these papayas? And so finally, I said, all right, I'm going to grow, try this again, and grow these papaya plants. And I had some that would that would grow, 
but they would have produced fruit. I thought, what? what is going on? I can't figure it out. And then other plants in different parts of the yard, they would bear fruit. And I thought, I want so many papayas that we're going to have to give them away. That's how many papayas I want. I want to have boxes of papayas where we just give them to the neighbors or bring them to church or whatever because we have more than we can handle. A surplus, an abundance of papayas. And so some of my papayas started growing really well and producing good fruit. And some papayas, they would grow, but they didn't produce fruit. Or sometimes they would have these little buds, these little tiny papayas. I'd say, finally, this tree is producing fruit. Finally, finally, finally. After all this time. And then the thing would turn yellow and fall off. <laughs> not yellow as in ripe. I mean, prematurely, just like this small. like Not like not like a yellowish orange, but like a dull yellow where it was dying and it would just fall off. So I did some research and I found out Papaya plants need a lot of sun. A lot of sun. If you want good fruit on a papaya tree, it needs a lot of sunlight. And if it doesn't get enough sunlight, it will not produce the papayas or the papayas will not be good quality. You might get some papayas, but they're not going to get big and they're not going to be real sweet. So if you want good papayas, you have to have a well, there's a lot of other things. You know, the ground, it can't, it has to have the just the right amount of water. It can't be too much water. And papaya plants are prone to disease. But you need full sun for fruit. And it, there are certain ingredients that a Christian needs to produce fruit in his life. And if you want love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, there are certain ingredients that you need in your Christian life in order to produce that fruit. And if you don't have that fruit, think of what the opposite is of that. Love. Hate. Love, joy. What's the opposite of joy? Love, joy, peace. What's the opposite of peace? Love, joy, peace. Think of the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, you want to know something kind of interesting? Here's a good way to remember the fruit of the Spirit. You ever studied this about the fruit of the Spirit? How many fruit of the Spirit are there? Nine. And the fruit of the Spirit is found in Galatians 5.22. Five plus two plus two equals what? And the fruit of the Spirit is found in the book of Galatians. How many letters are in the book of Galatians? G-A-L-A nine. And Galatians happens to be the ninth book of the New Testament. Fruit. And it's fruit. And you know what the Bible says children are fruit of the womb and the gestation period for a human being is how many months fruit nine 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 the number of fruit just thought I'd throw that out there a Christian who does not sanctify try to sanctify himself and set himself apart from the power of of sin in his life is going to be a miserable Christian. He's not going to be able to enjoy sin the way he used to. And he's going to reap. He's going to reap. The Bible says, he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Corruption. So it's very important for a Christian to make an effort and try 
with God's help and all those things to be sanctified from sin's power. Not only that, if you don't grow as a Christian, you're robbing yourself of a blessing. I started out by saying that a lot of Christians make the mistake of only sanctifying, trying to sanctify themselves halfway. They try to set themselves apart from certain sins, but they don't set themselves apart unto serving God. And they get into this mindset, because they're not growing, they get into this mindset that, that the Christian life is just a bunch of rules and regulations, a bunch of thou shalt nots. They think, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be saved, and you know, I'm glad that my sins are forgiven, but, but I just feel like all I'm trying to do is just not do certain things. And I don't feel happy. It just feels like it's just a big burden. The problem is they're only coming halfway in their sanctification. They're not sanctifying themselves unto God. Go to Romans chapter 1. This is the last verse we'll look at. Romans chapter 1. Paul, I'm sorry, chapter 1 verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Notice he didn't say, I'm separated from the devil and the world and sin and all of that, which we know that's true. But notice he, that's not what he said. See, separation is not just separating from something. It's also separating unto something. And he said he's separated unto the gospel of God. So I would encourage you to, if you haven't already, to get involved in actually serving God, not just trying to separate yourself from sin and sin's power, but separate yourself unto God in, in, in many different ways of, of serving God and, and doing things. And you will find that, oh, all of a sudden, I'm enjoying my Christian life a lot better. You know, before I thought, well, maybe I'm, I, you know, I'm not a good fit for this or I'm Maybe I've been saved long enough, or I'm, I'm, I don't have the personality or the skills or whatever. And all of a sudden, you start doing these little things, or you, you know, the, you approach the pastor and say, you know, pastor, I, I, I want to get more involved. What, what, what advice do you have, or do you have some sort of ministry or something that I could maybe participate in or something? I want to get more involved. And if you kind of get out of your comfort zone a little bit, you'll find, hey, I, I really. I really feel like I'm finally going somewhere in my Christian walk now. You know, they say, just, just people who aren't even saved, they say one of the best things you can do when you're depressed or something bad happened to you and all of this is go and help somebody and do something good for other people. And they say it's very rewarding and very fulfilling. Because it takes your focus off of yourself and you... you help other people or you see that there are other people who are in just of a bad position or worse position than you are and it changes your, your priorities and you see things from a different perspective. So that's part of the Christian life is not just sanctified from things but separated sanctified unto certain things. Let's go ahead and pray and dismiss in prayer. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this lesson of sanctification. I pray that you would help all of us to see the importance and the, the necessity of, of sanctification in these different aspects, our past, present, and future sanctification. I pray that you would especially help all of us here to, to 
focus and work on our, our present sanctification and being sanctified from sin's power. I pray that you would help all the believers here that they would be able to get victory over over any sins that they're struggling with, that they would uh, become fruit-bearing, mature Christians and spiritual Christians, that they would not be carnal, but that they would um, look at, at certain opportunities and ways that they could separate themselves unto serving you so that they can be mature, fruit-bearing, joyful Christians. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's what keeps us away from doing what we ought to do. So 